Welcome to episode 21 of Upshift, the No Direction Network's Essence 20 podcast, where every two weeks we give you an edge on Essence 20. I'm Mike Costello, one of the designers of the Essence 20 system, and an author on the G.I. Joe Transformers and My Little Pony role-playing game core rulebooks. And I'm Jason Keeley, Renegade Game Studios, a former RPG developer. Before we begin, we have both worked for Renegade on Essence 20 in some capacity, but Upshift is not associated with or produced by Renegade Game Studios, and this is not an official Essence 20 podcast. That's right. Also, before we begin, I figured we'd get in a banter segment. We haven't had one in a couple of episodes, but I had a big weekend at Montreal Comic-Con, and I just figured I'd talk a bit about it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Montreal Comic-Con, I would say, is a fairly large convention. Uh, The reported attendance this weekend was 60,000 attendees, which is a Mm. record for the con. So um, I know once you get to that many people, it's hard to figure out, like, what cons does that compare to? But that feels like a sizable chunk. I believe the exhibit room size. The exhibit room's about the size of Gen Cons, I think. And um, Mm. I was actually, I was impressed because the line went... Basically, like, so here's the exhibit hall on the second floor, and then the line went all the way under it and all the way out the door on the other side. And I Mm. got there, like, two hours after opening, so I was worried that most of my con would be spent in that line. But that that is the fastest I've seen a line that long move. We were just never stopped. They funneled us until we got right to the escalators where we would be going upstairs. That was the only time we really had to wait. And then otherwise we went upstairs, Mm. and it was packed with vendors, packed with attendees, uh, the the way that the um, uh, the Palais de Congrès is, is the uh, uh, building where they hold the con, the way it's laid out is that there's just this nice area that the cosplayers tend to uh, gather around hmm. that's separate enough from the exhibit hall. It's like if you're going from the exhibit hall to the seminars, you have to go up this giant escalator and you have to go from the hall to this area where the cosplayers are and then up the escalator. So... It's kind of this nice side area where the cosplayers congregate. And I appreciate that because I like using cosplay as like uh, a finger on the pulse of what's popular in pop culture right now. Oh, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What would you end up seeing? A lot of Spider-Man, but not Peter Parker Spider-Man. Like people really seem to want to be their favorite Spider-Man from Spider-Verse. A lot of Wednesday Adams. I wasn't expecting that. I know the show is popular and I guess it's also a fairly easy costume. So that's probably why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing that surprised me most is that I saw three Harley Quinns based on the Birds of Prey version of her costume, which okay. is a movie yeah. I think I forgot came out. But like, it's a very specific look. She's got like these uh, yellow clear tassels hanging off her sleeve. And just like of all the Harleys to see, I was surprised that I saw multiples of that one. It's... Uh, that movie came out like right <laughs> at the beginning of 2020. Yeah. So not a lot of people remember it happened, but I thought it was an excellent film. I enjoyed oh, really? the heck out of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought it was just sort of fun. It was fun. You know, it was a fun superhero style movie. And, uh, uh, um, you know, Margot Robbie does a great Harley Quinn. Yeah. So I loved Margot Robbie in it, but everything else to be felt like a TV pilot more than a movie. Hmm. Did you accidentally watch the Birds of Prey TV pilot? <laughs> No, but I guess it's also, I like most of the characters in there and I didn't recognize most of them, not in their design, not in their portrayal. And I think that may have taken away from it for me. It's because it's, I guess that's, you know, really very street level like thing. It wasn't like 
big, huge, bombastic, save the world superhero movie, which I think at that point I was probably pretty tired of. Yeah, fair enough. You know, man. So it's good to see Harley Quinn just wrecking people with the baseball bat and stuff. Now, I did not go to any seminars, and I regret it because after the fact, someone pointed out that the uh, the actors just went on strike, and so they could not promote anything. And that includes not promoting any of their past work because that's on a yeah. streaming service and somebody can benefit from it. So you had like Jonathan Frakes and John Delancey on a panel where they could not talk about Star Trek. Oh, so they ended up, oh, they, they were, were still doing the panel. Th- yeah, they still did the panels. Yeah, okay, good for them. And for they them. were just answering like the weirdest questions. Like someone asked oh what uh, Jonathan Frakes' worst job was and he just talked about this time he worked at like a sandwich shop. And mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. all sounds like fascinating stuff and just totally off of what you normally get at those panels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> just two two people just uh, just talking. Yeah, <laughs> they can't talk about the one thing that the two of them have in common. Yeah. Uh, I heard John Barrowman was especially funny because uh, his stuff with Doctor Who and um, Torchwood he could talk about mm-hmm. because that's BBC stuff, and so that's the it's a different okay, yeah outside. But he couldn't talk about Archer, and so uh, not Archer, um, mm-hmm. Green Arrow, Arrow. Arrow, right, yeah, right, 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 he was yeah. uh, Black Arrow on Arrow. He was in that. Um, so yeah, so just it would be the shift from like vaguely alluding to things to just flat out giving into all the details that any fan could want. Great, cool. Well, yeah, and then uh, the final highlight for me was we have uh, a big indie video game scene in Montreal, and Ooh. so uh, I'll, there's a whole section that is just dedicated to indie games, and you can try them and whatnot. One game I really enjoyed was called. Uh, Checkmate challenge, checkmate duel, something like that. It's basically, it's chess. But then Mm -hmm. when you try and steal the piece, it becomes a 2D fighting game, like Street Fighter. Okay, great. The person whose turn it is, you have like an advantage in the fight. You start with uh, with like the the ultimate attack. Uh, But you can still lose on the turn where you're trying to capture the uh, player. Uh, Oh, that's fun. And um, your health bar never regenerates. So if you just lean too heavily on, say, the queen... She will slowly yeah. take a beating. Just like that. Did you? As an old, old game called Archon, which was very chess-like. Yeah. But every time the pieces touched each other, you had to go into a whole different battle. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I do remember Archon, and it was like fantasy creature, right? So you can have a phoenix fighting yeah, yeah, against, yeah. Uh, you know, the Manticore. Stuff. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was fun. That's fun. Um, there's another game. It's called, oh, I can't remember exactly. It's might call like bishop with a shotgun or king with a shotgun <laughs> okay it's a chess it's a chess quote-unquote chess game where you are one of the chess pieces but you also have a shotgun you have to stop the other chess pieces from capturing you it's more tongue-in-cheek than what you're talking about but yeah no that sounds wild do do, do, do the fighting game uh, uh, aspects are like does the queen have a certain move set or are all the chess pieces kind of have the same move set they mostly have the same move set the two pieces that i really felt different were the rook really did feel mm. slow and powerful and the knight who felt weird like the knight's mm. fighting position was like one hand behind the back and their main strike was a, a very dual like slap <laughs> okay um and i guess the queen no the queen had like a long spear so she had more of a ranged attack mm-hmm. it was more subtle than i think it could have been but it also uh, it was an alpha the pawns didn't do anything like if you engage with the pawn then it would just go however a pawn normally reacts in chess oh, okay. rules so it was right. fairly early in, but I'm excited about it, and I've already put it on my Steam wish list. So whenever this comes out, I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm also that's cool. I've been teaching my older daughter chess with a uh, a, a box that's called Storytime Chess, and mm-hmm. it teaches each piece through mini games, and also comes with a storybook telling the story of these characters. And so you, it, it comes with the traditional pieces, but they all have a slot base where you can slide in a cartoon character. Like one of the clever things they do is they've got the two bishops. One of them has green hair. One of them is white hair. The green haired one can only go on the green squares on the base. The white haired one can only go on the white haired. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so there's a lot idea. of little things like that that help learn. Um, like there's a, a jingle for uh, how to move the knight, which I don't remember exactly what it was. But anyway, there's a lot of little <laughs> catchy things like that. Yeah, and uh, she's catching on. the The main struggle I'm having is that she has asked to play games a few times, and I cannot play bad chess. Like I cannot oh. play down to a, a novice's level. So I've got to right. Like every time she does a move, where it's like, well, that was a terrible move. I will explain to her. Here's the next three turns based on what you just did. So are you sure you want to do that? And I'll let her take back a lot. I'm actually going to add a new thing where she gets like four tokens and every time she wants either a hint or to take back a move she has to spend a token hmm okay game of fiving the learning yeah yeah that sounds great but i think that's enough about chess and montreal comic-con <laughs> sure <laughs> i don't know how's your weekend what did you what have you been up to um i i turned in a big huge freelancing project oh nice uh, on Sunday, so I'm glad that's over with, and I've turned to other. I'll turn to other projects that I'm uh, that I'm working on, basically. Nothing announced, I assume. Yeah, nothing announced that I can really talk about. <laughs> can you give an estimate of just how huge we're talking about? Uh the thing that I turned in was a little over twenty thousand words. Okay. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of time to do it, but I also then <laughs> stepped away from it for maybe too long and then had to come mm. back to it in the last month. And that's always a little tricky to do. Uh, but I, you know, I got through it and, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be fun. All right, cool. Speaking of fun today, we are talking about crossover yeah. adventures. So we are specifically going to be going into spoiler heavy conversations about memories and salvation, the mm-hmm. crossover adventure at the back of the field guide to action adventure. And Cobra Confusion, the free RPG day adventure that just came out. Um, but before we get to the spoiler stuff, I figured we could just talk about writing adventures, working on adventures uh, yep. broadly. Because uh, So I wrote both of these adventures, you developed both of them, uh, but you have way more adventure writing credit than I do. So I'm curious, when uh, you get a new writing assignment, either something you're planning on writing or something you need to outline to send to somebody else, uh, where do you begin? Gosh, um, uh, talking about an adventure, it's always, you know, it's, it, it. I start at both ends and kind of like working towards the middle mm. in a lot of ways. Like I can think of like an overall, the beginning being like, what is the adventure about? What is the point of it and whatever? Uh, and then think about what the final, <clears throat> actually the final, you know, encounter is going to be, who is it going to be against and what they're doing and essentially why, and then work backwards to sort of like be like, well, okay, well, how do the players get from point A to point B? Um, basically, yeah, and 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 what the motivation is of the of the bad guys, so that the players can key in on that and and know what's going on and do all the things they need to do to 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 do the adventure, right? Do you prefer outlining your own adventures or prefer, uh, I guess, writing an adventure from an outline? Where do you land on that? Oh gosh, um, I I I mean, I, you know, a good outline is is easy to write an adventure from. <laughs> So you know, I try to you know give as uh, 
good outlines as uh, as possible. And that's that's uh, yeah, in a way that might be more fun because you get to do the bits that are just like. You know, they be you know definitely when it opens up. This is the first encounter, and this is the last encounter, and these are the big bombastic things I'd like to see happen. Um, and then the middle can be you know pits in the middle can be like, well, you know, feel free to figure out how to get from point A to point B exactly. Um, so you don't have to have every single idea uh, for that. And whereas you know writing adventure uh, can sometimes be you know you got to do all the do all the dirty work at that point. Do you know uh, and come with the come up with the um, scenes and 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 whatnot, but. You know, that being said, you know, I've also developed a lot of adventures like that, and that's the next step in the dirty work. So I, I'm not immune to, you know, I'm not completely uh, um, uh, for, forgiven, not forgiven, but, you know, exempt from doing the dirty work. You know, I got to get in there and get all the little bits and continue to make sure that it makes sense, right? You don't ever develop your own adventures, right? Oh, no, no. What about something you've outlined, given somebody else, and then get it back and you then have you ever developed that yes yeah, okay oh yeah that's that's a you know the majority of what i've done okay. proviso right is to sort of develop these adventures give them to a freelancer and then get them back and, and and work on them so the first published adventure i ever wrote was uh elven entanglement for pathfinder society uh, back in first edition and the outline was drawn mm -hmm. by john compton and i had i like the outline was four thousand words it felt like half the adventure had already been written which surprised yeah. me um and then the second published adventure I ever did was the adventure in the back of uh, the G.I. Joe Core rulebook, which had no outline whatsoever. And sure, yeah. I I don't think I could have done that Core rulebook adventure had I not gotten that outline from John. It, he gave me so many fundamentals about the logistics of what has to go in an adventure mm -hmm. and just how to break things down into like just sizable chunks so that you understand the narrative, you understand where mechanics need to be. And right. yeah, just the whole thing. It was, again, like it was more than I was expecting. And one of my reactions was like, I don't feel much ownership over the final product because it is so much like I have fulfilled John's version of it. But uh, I mean, and at the same time, I get a lot of flack for writing such a deadly adventure that's killed off a lot of uh, full parties oh. in the first encounter. <laughs> sure, fair. Um, I, I suspect that John maybe also sort of like as you were not necessarily like a complete um, uh, uh, neophyte to this, but like not having written adventures before for publisher for society, probably maybe gave you a lot more than you maybe needed to to so that you felt comfortable writing, you know. And that the you know we you know when you do something that you're going to develop later on, when you're writing an outline for it, you want to give the author you know the best chance to succeed, and so and and then make your job later on easier. So that is possible, but I also think that's just how John outlines. I'll give me yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, John is also yeah, will give 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 you a lot. Uh, when you run adventures for home games, assuming it's not something published, do you do an outline? Like, how do you handle that kind of adventure? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am like a ninety percent improv uh, uh, GM when it comes to stuff that I'm not already that's not been written already. Right, I will. You know, because I'm doing a lot of running on, you know, uh, Foundry and stuff, I will need to come up with oh, a map or a picture or something, you know, so I'll have to think about it a little bit ahead of time. But it's like a lot of times it's the bare minimum of um, to my, sometimes to my detriment, but the bare minimum of uh, this is the this is the end goal. And maybe this is where it begins and then just sort of like, you know, go for it. Um, but a lot of times, too, I also felt like things that I did not expect like to happen and the players going, let's do this have made for some really fun adventures where I didn't know what was going to happen ahead of time. 
and just riffing on oh yeah yeah yeah, okay and then you're gonna figure this out and and then sort of like coming up with something on the fly uh, that is a good um obstacle to for them to get what they want so that's that's me exactly as well like 90 percent might even be low i I might go up as high as 99 percent. i go in with very little plans uh because player agency really is the most important thing to me as a gm Mm -hmm. and i think i've found my groove as an adventure writer for how to make this thing that is like it's set in stone to a certain degree it's words on a page right but still uh showing how the players are the ones that are really driving the narrative and making sure the gms know like here's a zig point here's a zag point and here's a point that could go any which way just follow your your player's lead Sure. I mean, I think the best pre-written adventures have these gates in a lot of ways that are like, oh, do they do this or this? Or like they can, they, here are four things that they need to do and they can do them in any order, you know, and then that might affect the the next thing on the line. And if you can, if you can do that, in, you know, in enough word count to just be like, oh, if this is the second thing that they've done, you know, if they do point A before point B, point B is slightly harder by, by, by this one, you know, there's an extra skeleton here in this room or whatever, you know, so like, um, yeah, you want to give that sort of give that. I wouldn't call it an illusion of freedom, but like adventure paths are, are like theme park rides. Um, you know you're on a th- you know you know you kind of know you're on a, a track for the most part, but it's still interesting to look at everything and, and like and then you take it a step further. You could be you know those are the the interactive theme park rides that have the little guns on them and you try to shoot the people and then you get a lot you get a score at the end of it. You know the, the best pre written adventures are kind of like that in a lot of ways. Well, we're going to get into those adventures right now, or a couple of them anyway. And so we're going to say spoilers from here on out. I guess we'll give people you know, a little bit of time to, to to check out in case they don't want to hear any spoilers. We're going to start with Memories and Salvation, and then we're going to move on to Cobra Confusion. Indeed. So uh, if you want to play in any of those things, come back later. All right. You've had your chats. We're moving on. So Memories and Salvation is the adventure that comes in the back of the Field Guide to Action and Adventure. We talked last episode about how I was the one that put out together the outline. And that one of the challenges with the outline is that I didn't know what we were allowed to do. And so mm-hmm. um, I was not told to include an adventure, but I did think an adventure would both illustrate everything that came before it. Uh, and also take up a chunk of word count so that I just didn't have to worry about just finding that many more general perks and whatever like it was it was a nice chunk of word count at the bottom of the adventure outline or the uh, the book outline and i was like all right that takes care of that but i do think that the best uh, like rules need examples and the best examples for how to play something out is an adventure because it used the format like in this case it used the format for chase right in the middle of it and it also shows the ways to make a plot where different characters uh, overlap and, and uh, interact, even though they're from different franchises. Yeah, indeed. I mean, especially it's something that I look for in a newer game that I don't know very well. That might be something slightly different or in a weird premise. Seeing some form of this is how you play the game is very helpful to me. And then from a design point of view, as I'm writing this adventure, this also gave me a chance to be like, oh, we don't have something I've just encountered while working on an adventure covered elsewhere in the mm-hmm. book. And so I'm going to have to make yeah. sure that I update the outline to have just, you know, a, some section to smooth that out for GMs that are in their own position, writing adventures or getting ready to run one. From And also from sort of like a kind of a businessy standpoint, the uh, having an adventure that has like a newish rules element in it or a way to do something like a chase rules 
having this sort of sample adventure in the back of the book in which the rules appear helps you set a format for how it should appear in adventures. If you are the kind of thing where you're doing more adventures, right? If you, you have other adventures that exist in your product line, you want to set a standard, essentially, a, a, a easy to read and, and figuring out earlier is better. So when it came to the premise for Memories and Salvation, uh, I kind of did the same thing you were saying that start with the villains, start with their motivation to figure out just what is mm -hmm. even yeah. happening. And I knew fairly early on that I wanted Xandar to be the focus from the G.I. Joe side of it. And of course, like we talked about the Roger Rabbit rule, I needed to make sure every franchise had equal representation from like yeah. the established canon into the uh, included in the adventure. So uh, I wanted to include Xandar as one of the villains because he's one of the few G.I. Joe characters that just kind of straight up has a supernatural power. So <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. You got uh, he is Zartan and Zorana's other brother. And Zartan is master of disguise. Zoran is a master of disguise. And Xandar is a guy who is just super forgettable. That is mm -hmm. how his file card describes him. That is, he, he shows up in a couple of issues of the comic that really play this, like, demonstrate it well, where the Joes are chasing them. And then they pull over at a gas station and ask the attendant there, like, have you seen these people? We're chasing them. And he's like, yeah, they went on that way. But it was Xandar. And Sergeant Slaughter, who was leading the chase, didn't recognize Xandar, even though he was just chasing him. Um... <laughs> but like the difference between Xandar's power and Zorana and Zartan is that they have a skill. They are good at something. Whereas Xandar yeah. seems to have just lucked into this power that also fits the family theme. And uh, it, I, oh, go ahead. I, just, I wonder if that's like uh, lampshading something on behalf of the, the writers. Like the original G.I. Joe creators, you know, created, you know, uh, these, these brothers created three siblings and then just literally actually forgot about the third one at some point. So there, and then it's just like, well, no, that's his power. It, it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because uh, Xandar just does not hold up as well as Zartan and Zorana. Uh, Zartan yeah. is an A-list Cobra character. He was introduced early on. So like he became a part of the core cast. And then as the leader of the Dreadnoughts, anytime the Dreadnoughts did something, Zartan was involved. Zartan's when you needed an infiltrator, Zartan was involved. He like wore multiple hats. Oh, that's a master of disguise and, pun. And he did too. It. And he did too. And then uh, Zorana could do the same thing. But like if you needed a female character specifically for that kind of story, mm -hmm. you've got Zorana. Yeah. Plus a couple of years after Zorana came out, they stopped making new female characters for, for G.I. Joe uh, or female figures. And so she kept showing up in the comics because you need some female characters in your cast. And so mm -hmm. she mm -hmm. probably could have just come and gone and been a footnote like Xandar was, but instead she became a significant character for the rest of the comic run. And then there's Xandar, who really his only chance of being a character with, with legs would be if he became the new Zartan, but he definitely mm -hmm. did not become the new Zartan. So he became a redundant brother in this, this sibling trio and just disappeared from the comic and nobody really noticed. <laughs> or maybe he was yeah, there the whole maybe. time. Maybe he was there. And then someone's going to do a whole conspiracy theory video and then just this big old stack of comic books and just push, look here on this page. Here he is in the background. Here he is. Here. He's been here the whole time. So uh, knowing that, and the reason that I wanted to include a character with supernatural powers mm -hmm. is because this being a crossover with a very sci-fi Transformers, um, <laughs> I wouldn't call Power Rangers sci-fi. What genre would they fit under besides Sentai? I mean, I mean that I would say yeah, it's 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 sci. I mean, it's sci-fi because there's aliens from space, but there's also magic. Yeah, so it's sci-fantasy maybe. Okay, 
So yeah, uh, throwing G.I. Joe, the more serious of the three, into a sci-fi and sci-fantasy crossover, having a character like Xandar, not only is this an opportunity to use him, whereas he might kind of stand out in another product, um, yeah, it, it kind of bridges the gap, which is very important for a crossover. Yeah. And so knowing that I had Xandar, whose main power is being forgettable, I I believe next I came up with having... Oh no, I think Scrap Heap came next because... Uh, mm -hmm. there were two things about Xandar that made Scrap Heap a good compliment to him. One of them is that Xandar is not a Cobra character, and so I didn't want to have the secondary villains from G.I. Joe and then Decepticons, the main villains from Transformers. So sure, instead yeah, I went with yeah, a yeah. Junkion, who are kind of like a Autobots leaning neutral faction, and Scrap Heap specifically is a mercenary who often goes against what the rest of the uh, um, the Junkions are doing. So, uh, yeah, he, so his affiliation made sense. And then the other thing is that, uh, the dreadnoughts are bikers and most of the junkions, the classic ones are motorcycles. So that was a good pairing there yeah. too. Yeah. 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 And I, I think sometime after I handed this over, scrap heap got renamed as junk heap, either that, or there's just another junkion mm. named junk heap, but, uh, <laughs> it's possible between turning this over and the book coming out, I saw junk heap on the toy shelves. Oh, okay. Is he also a motorcycle? Uh, they've been branching out with what the Junkions turn into lately. Like, there's a, a tow mm -hmm. truck that looks like it was just put together by scrap. Right. And uh, they've been including more, uh, like, garbage trucks and stuff. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So there was a series called Transformers Animated where they got... Uh, they brought uh, Rekgar, the leader of Junkions, and the only Junkion that got a toy in the original line... They brought him back and they changed him to a garbage truck, which just thematically makes more sense. And then they got Weird Al to mm -hmm. uh, play him, yeah. which is great because Dare to be Stupid was playing during yep, the, yep, yep. the the junk planet scene. So, yeah, that was nice. Uh, but Scrap Heap's... Wasn't, it, was it, oh, yeah. wasn't Eric Idle the voice of Rekgar? Yeah, in the, in the movie, movie and they yep, couldn't yep. get him for the animated series, so they got Weird Al. Sure. Why not? Yep. Right, and that, of course, brings us to Power Rangers. And uh, I consulted with Brian about, like, who fits in with these two characters. And we came up with the idea that the Machine Empire would be a good group that would uh, team up with Junkions and that they would be yeah. a good, like, go-between as creatures that are, are like, a robot aliens that could be on Earth. And if the Machine Empire's motivation is to get to Earth, then Scrap Heap is helping them with that. And the way they're going to infiltrate it is if they somehow weaponize Xandar's uh, anonymity ability. And so mm. there I had the the three different characters. Oh, and Tesla specifically um, only appears in one episode. So she was a pretty blank slate. Allegedly, yeah. it's a female character. Like I watched the episode that she's in it and the character okay. does nothing. Like, I don't think she has any lines. She does nothing that would indicate a gender and she's a robot. But anyway, uh, of the four uh, Machine Empire lieutenants that show up in that episode, uh, her being a female character put her to the top because then I had a little more diversity in this otherwise male-presenting uh, lineup. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and then, so yeah, from there, just figuring out who the villains would be also told me what the plot would be. And uh, to just expand on... Uh, the different elements from the different franchise, I decided that Scrap Heap would be a Dreadnought motorcycle, which was a, a cool toy, a motorcycle with a turret that that came out, so that would be the basis for his alt mode. Uh, we included some combiner roles, no, rules, to bring a little mm -hmm. more uh, 
Transformers element in there, and then the cogs would be the minions for uh, this entire group that I was calling the Unforgettable Alliance. Right. Now, sometime after turnover, Tesla and the cogs became prototype Tesla and prototype cogs. Were you involved in that? I did because there was something. There was a there was like a thing where the cogs were also getting in. A, they were in another book, and they had a different stat block, and so they had to be slightly different. And I think I don't know if it was if it was Brian or Ben. Kind of was like a little bit like, well, Tesla should maybe be a higher level than she is mm. here. And so I was like, okay, well, let's just kind of like make it a, a situation where it's not the actual Tesla. It's 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 a copy of Tesla in a lot of ways. Um, that it is obviously not necessarily a, a thing that fully exists in the Power Rangers universe, of course, but it it could make sense because she's a robot. Um, and uh, and so I kind of went with that, not really knowing much about Power Rangers, so I I kind of was deferring to their to their judgment on that one. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah, uh, even though these elements are probably the things that I had to do the most research on, just because I know it the least, it's also the one that I have the least justification for some of the choices that I made. So changing them to prototypes, yeah. that totally makes sense. And in that way too, like, you know, the machine empire doesn't actually get to earth with Tesla being there. Mm. It's, it's a sort of a envoy of the machine. I mean, obviously Tesla, if, if we had just had regular Tesla, she would be an envoy as well, but just sort of even more so mm. oh, you fight her. And then maybe, you know, maybe she breaks apart and or something and, or, you know, and that doesn't mean that the machine empire will be hot on, the heels of having a you know a famed former general mm. uh, defeated on Earth, and like oh, now we have to avenge. Now it's just like ah, that's just a copy. They probably send out a million of those. Yeah, probably. Who knows? Uh, and then the last elements, as far as uh, villains are concerned, it's Unforgetatron and the Machine. So the Machine is a combiner of the Cogs, because of course the Cogs in the Machine. And mm -hmm. then yeah. Unforgetatron is the other members of the Unforgettable Alliance if they're teaming up together. And these two elements came together, I think, after I'd worked out the first part where, um, and, and I'll get to it in a second, but basically you fight every villain in the adventure in the first scene. And mm -hmm. uh, who makes it out of that scene dictates what happens at the end. And so um, I realized that if we did this cool thing where if they all get out, then they become a combiner. And if only some of them come out, they become a lesser version of the same combiner. It just meant that the stuff that happens in the first scene has impact on the last scene. And that, that's really important yeah. to me. That's one of those things where we tell you at the beginning of an adventure, if you're the GM, for to read the entire adventure mm -hmm. all the way through first so you know how to prepare for the something like this happens at the end. Speaking of instructions for GMs preparing the adventure... That brings us to the introduction. I think Memories and Salvation might have the longest introduction of any of the adventures I've written, and that's twofold. One is that it has a lot more elements to cover because it's got all the three different franchises, but also, yeah. unlike, say, if I'm writing a G.I. Joe adventure, I can't just assume that the player knows what Cobra is, like even basic things yeah. about the franchise. Even after reading the, uh, the Field Guide to Action Adventure, I still wanted to just do some summaries of each setting, how they play into this. Anything that comes up of note from the setting uh, gets highlighted here in this introduction. Then there's the adventure yeah. overview. Oh, and then each one, uh, each setting gets their own adventure because I decided that it was, um, let's see, a layered because it means that all three of them exist in the same world, even if they don't always interact. Yes. Um, layered melting pot or... 
uh, anyway, I don't remember what uh, specifically of the terminology we went with, but the def the idea was definitely that there would be all three of them exist at the same time, and you could be running any one of these campaigns, and then just do this stopover and have them uh, mm -hmm. interacting with these other characters. And it would also yeah, be assuming yeah, yeah. that this is the first time any of these characters ever met. Oh, and it also yeah. is a second level adventure because there is a first level adventure in every core rulebook. So this could be yeah, the sense. adventure you jump off from. Actually, you would go like core rulebook, gem screen, and then you can do this one. This thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know. Any thoughts on the introduction? No, I liked all the different sort of box text for each of the yeah you know, you have some Power Ranger characters. This is what this is how they get over here, and none it none it, the thing doesn't assume uh, the adventure doesn't assume that everybody knows each other ahead of time. So you can have if you were the kind of GM who ran multiple Essence Twenty campaigns, for instance, and had a GI Joe campaign, a first level GI, and and at this nearly at the same time a first level Power Rangers campaign, right? You could be like, oh, let's all hang out and do one big adventure together, or like two people from each of those groups coming into this one and just doing a little sort of side mission. And it's fun. It's a fun way to do it. Awesome. Uh, does it show that I know GI Joe better than the other two settings? I don't remember. Okay. Well, I know that the, like for power Rangers, your liaison is alpha five and alpha five is probably everyone's go-to liaison for this kind of adventure. Whereas for GI Joe, yeah. I went with chuckles who is not mm -hmm. uh, an A-list in any way, uh, you know, every now and then gets spotlight put back on him, but it, an Alpha 5 equivalent would be someone more like Scarlet or someone more A-list, but I wanted Chuckles, so I went with Chuckles. Well, here, I mean, there's not, like, the Power Rangers have the Power, like, Power Rangers, mm -hmm. and then you know, Zordon and Alpha 5, basically. Like, there's not, there's not, like, a lot of, like, in-between, and one is, assu one, you're assuming that when, when I think, no, maybe not assuming, but when you, Definitely assuming when you're playing in a G.I. Joe game, you're part of a large group of mm. people. When you're playing, a, I think, a Power Ranger game, I would always think that you are the Power Rangers and you talk to Alpha 5 and Zordon. Like, there's no, like, oh, you're just one of, you're not a franchise right. of Power Rangers outfits across the country or whatever. You are, you know, you are the Power Rangers. So it makes sense to me that you would still talk to the main mission giver. And then I went with Ultra Magnus for Transformers, uh, mainly because I had just done two you know, people talking in a room and I wanted something a little different. So I thought it would be fun if you were in Opt uh, Ultra Magnus's car carrier, which is his trailer. And then he, he's speaking to you and he drops you off. It just, um, it just changed the tone of the scene a little bit. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. All right. So then we get to uh, part one, otherworldly at warehouse. So we've got Sabaman's otherworldly curiosities is like if the mystery shack franchised. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, and the name Simon Sabaman comes from a combination of three creators who worked on Power Rangers, G.I. Joe, and uh, Transformers. You've got um, Saban, who made uh, Power Rangers. I, Larry Hama. I really thought that was... I was yeah, I was. I was thought that was just a reference to, to Saban for some reason. So it's Saban, Larry Hama, and Simon Furman. Oh, great. Yeah, Simon Furman kind of gets the shaft in the last name with only man being part of it and really those letters already belong to hama and saban and so that's why he gets the first name great and i no one has brought this up i don't know how many people are paying attention uh it, that's something i did i spent just 20 minutes writing three names and making combinations that sound like they could be yeah. a person's name that's great it's a it's a fun easter egg that 
you don't have to know to appreciate the adventure. Okay. You know. Uh, so this is uh, one of my classic, I've put too many things into one scene, but I try and write it in a way that makes, that runs smoothly for everyone involved. So I don't know what your take was the first time you were reading over part one here. I mean, it was, a there was a lot going on, mm -hmm. right? It's the most, because it's got to bring everybody in and then it's got to, you know, like I said, it has all the villains at the beginning and what they're doing and what's going on and why everyone's there for different, everyone's there for kind of different reasons, mm -hmm. depending on what, you know, setting you're from. Um, it takes a lot. And then, and then, you know, it's also an open, like, well, what do you want to, how do you want to approach the situation? Do you come in the back? Do you go in the front? Do you see that, you know, do you try to talk to the people who are running this place? And, you know, what happens then? So there's a lot going on, but it, it has a lot of paths to um, adventure, you know, to, to, to the action of the scene. So now part of my motivation here was to make just just a frenzy of things going on so that you got the sense that if you were, you know, you're playing one settings uh, characters and you're meeting the villains and these other settings characters all at the same time. And normally when that happens in a crossover, like in, in crossover media, the, the heroes don't automatically get along. They they come yeah. really close to fighting. Sometimes they do fight. And so I, I kind of wanted to emulate that. The idea that like, if they had worked together, they probably could have finished the adventure in part one. But why would they work sure, together yeah. right away? Yeah. I mean, if I were running this, I wouldn't even necessarily ha have it be obvious that there are other characters mm -hmm. here. You know what I mean? Other good guys here. It's just like, okay, Power Rangers, they come in and I ask them, hey, why do you want to do this? And, you know, and then, but if, you know, they walk in and they're walking in, uh, I want to go in the front door too. And they walk into whoever's G.I. Joe. It's like, okay, this other group is coming in here. And, you know, you see, you know, and maybe they can have a little role playing game. But then, like, they, they might have individual scenes until the action kicks off and then everyone's kind of thrown into it. Now, the weirdest thing that I included in this scene is the whirly bench. Which is sure. <laughs> uh, uh, basically a couch with a propeller on it, and there's a couple of reasons I did that. One is to give you some real tangible example of how weird the stuff in this warehouse is, and two that next we have a chase scene, and I wanted to give that many more options for how you would uh, pursue the people that just stole the GI Joe's vehicles. Yeah, you might have a bunch of Transformers, for instance, who decided to all play, you know, Minicon cassettes yeah <laughs> they don't have they're not cars you need some something to drive uh, one thing i'm not sure why i presented it this way is that instead of just doing a stat block for the whirly bench i said use the fang and make like six changes to the stat block <laughs> which takes up like 50 percent or 70 percent as much space as if i had just made a whirly bench stat block no i don't know stat blocks stat blocks can get a little unwieldy like full stat blocks can get a little unwieldy okay honestly uh, and i do like that the artist did include the whirly bench in the the map in the on the map yep. yeah i made sure when we were looking at the map i was like over here this is this moving on to well i guess and then towards the oh actually uh i guess we at some point should talk about the fact that the three contacts in this were also statted out that they could be used as pre-generated characters, which was one of the first things you reached out to me when you were developing this and said, yeah. why? <laughs> so what Yeah, I wasn't sure. Like it, my, my thought was like, because all of them, all the, uh, I can't remember. Sci-Fi is the only one who's not kind of captured or been knocked out. Right. So Sci-Fi, um, TJ Johnson and Cosmo, right? Yeah. Cosmos. Cosmos. Um, 
and Cosmos has been knocked out and in his UFO shape, uh, which is obviously gonna be and and or not what well, he's been captured. And TJ has been like is like knocked out in the backyard. And sci-fi is the only one that like comes with the G.I. Joe's basically. He drives them there. Mm-hmm. Um it just if if you were gonna use it's just just those three pre-gens it, you you wouldn't need an introduction you'd be like you wake up <laughs> basically would be the introduction you and you came here to do this so it, it didn't quite i didn't see how they how you could play them um as pre-gens in the same deal of with other pre-gens who get a mission briefing and get to come to the place now that's not to say that you couldn't have an adventure in which one of the players is not included in the introduction that gets introduced we'll talk like about that in a minute through sure um uh, but that's very difficult to do and i didn't want to overcomplicate things for the this in the back of the book and you know it's always a you know that safe space when you don't include pre-gens now uh, i know we've had other conversations where you're asking if you were to change something or or like why i did something i can give you a, a sermon on some of the decision making that i went into like why the uh, the power tool has the reload trait. Um, right. I could not justify why I had decided that these three <laughs> contacts would also be options as pregens. Hey, you know, they're yeah. there. Maybe you just felt like standing them up. I don't know. Oh, no, I did not enjoy standing them up. It takes no, it took a long time. Actually, cut then. no, you know what? It, it was fun. And I think I may have even come up with a new influence for earlier in the book based on... Mm. Okay. Based on one of them, maybe uh, Stargazer came from sci-fi. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, I statted them up. I don't mind that they got cut. I was surprised that they weren't included as like some kind of blog content on the Renegade site to promote the book. Uh, but anyway, it's it's words that Renegade currently owns, and they could do whatever they want with. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, they're much stronger as contacts. Um, yeah, because like it 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 shows the contacts rules, which was. Yeah. Probably the reason that I wanted to include them to begin with. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having these friendly NPCs there. And and again, it's partially the reason why the Power Rangers are there. They're like, Power Rangers are like... Now, this is a situation where Power Ranger, T.J. Johnson is a Power Ranger, so you are not necessarily the Power Ranger, yeah. probably a group of Power Rangers, but it's still like, hey... But, you know, that, that has happened, like, we're in a show where an old Power Ranger does come back, right? Um, so it's just like, hey, we, you know, this, this friend of the Power Rangers, who is also a Power Ranger, is gone missing or is not responding so you should check it out yeah that is one of the challenges of adapting power rangers because gi joe is not a story that's been told it's a story that's been set up and then it will go on forever using that same premise and transformers sometimes it's told as like a you know we get the beginning middle and end of that specific one but i can also present it as a thing that's never ending and it's the general purpose Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Power Rangers is more like if we were adapting, say, Star Wars, where the idea is that Star Wars is happening. This is the continuity. Yeah. It is just the background of your campaign. And you are running your campaign parallel to the main adventure. Um, and so TJ Johnson is a character who joined at some point, became the Blue Ranger, then became a Red Ranger, and then left the team. And so this is just a snapshot of some adventure of TJ's that we just didn't know he had. Yeah. Uh, which is just, it's more challenging from the designer's point of view of how to present that sure. in a way that doesn't contradict anything that's come before it. Yeah, it's fair. Uh, we've got the stat blocks in the middle of the adventure, which I know um, more commonly we get like uh, all the stat blocks reserved at the end right, in like okay. a, a, an appendix. Um, any any thoughts on how that ended up like this? 
I think that was because at the time I was also just looking at that that was happening at at all of the adventures that are in the backs of core rule books. Oh, okay. I think for the most part, um, with the exception of like, if there's a bestiary in the book, you know, you can look at that directly. But like for the most part, they were just like, this is the here's the Decepticon seeker rookies or whatever they are in the in the Transformers one. They were like right there. Um, so I think I was just following that lead. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, good art for all three of the the characters. Oh, and then of course I have the a lot of moving parts sidebar, which I've written some variation of this in a lot of the adventures because there's usually <laughs> at least one scene that is more complex than it probably has to be, but I think it's better because of it. Yeah. Uh, then there's the aftermath where we go with the assumed ending, the overwhelming victory, overwhelming defeat. And again, because the villains are just trying to escape the scene, I don't think this is one of those situations where them beating the heroes early on ends the adventure. Uh, right, the bigger exactly. problem is the other way around. If the heroes happen to beat all of the villains, but again, they're just trying to leave. So it's not like everyone has to fight until there's no more health left. Like as long as they right. leave the scene, which is a much easier objective for the uh, the villains to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. The, the tricky thing with that does come with the, uh, how do you run it when, I mean, do you, do you, is there, do the PCs let the the bad guys get away? Do you have to move directly into the chase, mm. or is there you know do you want to have you kind of like for narrative's purposes you want to have that breathing moment in between the two, where the 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 different settings can introduce themselves to one another and then say like we got to work together now let's chase them, um, but like yeah the time there's going to be real like because it is a chase and you are literally chasing them so the the time di difference is going to be a real small one. Mm -hmm. But you also have to assume that they have to find vehicles and like yeah. coordinate themselves. So those conversations could be happening in parallel. And I do think, yeah, so true. moving on to part two, para, paradream shift, um, that it does say you can pursue right away. You can just stop and look around and um, presented them as all as three different viable options, I felt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I would imagine most people would chase one of the two parties, probably the masterminds. But uh, I'm not sure. I'd actually, I don't know, we're not collecting data on it or anything, but I am curious how it goes. Uh, and then there's the splitting up sidebar here, because I did realize that I had presented a situation where three groups did not need to get along. And then we're presented with three options, which is the, mm -hmm. they could easily just say, I'll go this way, you go that way. And that, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would not be good for anybody, especially the GM. Tough. It's that's That kind of stuff is tough to run. All right, so now, the Paradream Chase. Uh, I did more research into this than any other part of probably the whole book because <laughs> everything here is real. These corners yeah. are real. You could find this intersection on a map of Florida. The Tamiami Bridge is a real bridge that's been uh, raised to go over the Florida Everglades. Uh, right. And just like in researching Florida, which is the setting of this, I found that and I was like, well, that's an amazing set piece. We definitely have to use this elevated platform over swamp water. Yeah. Um, I had, oh, yeah. I, I, I looked it up too. I just wanted to say, it was this real? Oh my gosh, it is. And I was reading about it. It's pretty cool. I assumed that you started with the idea of it being the Florida Everglades because of the dreadnoughts. Yeah. And then looked around for stuff to add to it, not necessarily discovered this highway <laughs> first and then decided, Oh yeah, it'll be set in Florida. Yeah. So, it started with Dreadnoughts are in uh, the Everglades and as the only Earthling of the three villains. The, it might make sense mm -hmm. to start there. And then I found um, Homestead, Florida, 
which just felt mm-hmm. like a very good name for uh, basically puns and titles of these sections. Sure, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, no, sorry, not Homestead, Florida, Salvation, Florida. Oh, okay. No, maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, one of the two was real, Whatever. a real place in two. Florida. And look it up. In uh, doing some research of how to get from the Florida Everglades to this part of Florida, I found this bridge, and that nice. was like, all right, cool. Uh, there's my set piece. Cool. And and then I had to map out both of their routes to make sure both of them could go, and then eventually can converge. Fair enough. And uh, we talked last episode about how I used the chase rules in here because I really like the chase rules, but I also forgot the other motivation for including the chase was so that uh, Autobot PCs could make full use of their uh, their alt modes. Yeah, yeah. Like the right, exactly. Autobots get to shine a special way in this this particular section, especially because Power Rangers don't have their Zords yet. So it really is, if you yeah. want to keep up, some of you might be flying the Whirly Bird, but odds are people are going to be hopping into the Autobots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... It's very doubtful that the Power Rangers will have like requisitioned the Rad Bug or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so, so I mean, I guess I don't know Power Rangers well enough to could know have. They what could, they could. They could have vehicles, but they probably won't. Yeah. And then to simplify things, I made the same chart for both different chases, but gave special obstacles on each different one to represent just the the pieces of the setting and and calling them out. Right. Yeah, that was good. Thank you. So this was another section where you could reduce the villains that would be appearing in the last section. And so here we are at the last section, Homestead Salvation. Yeah, so Homestead is the name of Florida. Salvation is it's a scrapyard or a salvage yard. Um, yeah, so this one had to be written as though you didn't know which combination of villains finally made it yeah. to the end. Um, this is actually, this I map, I had is one of the first things I did for this adventure. And I had actually originally envisioned this as the opening scene. And oh, that okay. uh, that's why there's like a front door and a side door because the Joes were walking in through the office. The, tra- uh, the transformer mm-hmm. PCs could park over here and then get into this side door that's for vehicle access. And then I had the power Rangers like sneaking in through the fence or something over here, which is also why there's kind of like this zigzag that feels like a pathway off to the side uh, that served mm-hmm. no purpose in the adventure. Uh, because at one point it did, and it just became a, a you know yeah. personality on yeah. the map. I think the the, the part three is 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 um, like a little more condensed and a little more straightforward, and it's and you know in its entirety because it has all the multiple paths leading up to it. So it has this nice sort of like oh we get here and then there's a you know a, <laughs> uh, you know they unforgettable you know the 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 bad guys fuse into one another mm-hmm. or whatever and, and it's like oh. Oh no! We now we have to fight a little mini Zord. Yeah, that felt very Power Rangersy. It felt very Transformersy, and yeah. was not out of the realm of possibility for GI Joe. And I like the Unforgettatron art. So the earlier Scrap Heap art didn't really show the um, Dreadnought motorcycle parts, but this one really does. Yeah. And so that's cool. And so in designing Unforgettatron, I did a single stat block and said, if you're missing this person, they lose this ability. Like instead of doing a different yeah. stat block for every combination. I tried to do yeah. the the easiest thing for uh, space wise and for GMs to run. That would be like six stat blocks, <laughs> yeah. It? Yeah. Uh, and then we've got this sidebar: the new equipment, armor, and battle dress upgrades, which is one of the most talked about parts of the whole book. And it was really just mm-hmm. a means to an end to explain how Unforgettatron came together and to give people a unique uh, benefit right. at the end. But it's the combiner core armor upgrade 
power master armor upgrade, the target master armor upgrade, all of things that will be coming in the future. Some variation of this will be coming in the future for uh, Transformers. Um, but because that was basically what Unforgetatron needed to work, uh, I did like right. preliminary versions of these things. And uh, yeah, people noticed. People noticed a lot more than I expected them to. <laughs> people w want to do that combiner stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, we got to the end. We got the last couple of stat blocks. We got concluding the adventure. Some different rewards, including... Oh, the stagnation of grenades. That's also something that I needed some justification yeah. for why TJ Johnson got knocked out and then was in right. full fighting form afterwards. And so the idea of a different kind of... Like, basically, an advanced stun grenade uh, yeah. came to be. And so that became part of the rewards. And uh, you get a perk for uh, working together. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, anytime you have more crossovers, you can then work well with other members of these factions. So yeah, this is Memories and Salvations. This is only the fourth published adventure I've ever written. This is the third one that I've written for oh. Renegade. And uh, I really felt like I'd come into my own as an adventure writer with this one. It's... Yeah, it was a good one. Thank you. Oh, and we forgot to mention there is a crane. Oh, yes. In the junk, in the salvage, salvage yard. You got to have a crane. Yeah. Got to be able to drop people or pick them up or whatever. I... I believe it started with, I need a crane because it's a salvage yard and not, I need mm -hmm. a salvage yard because I need a crane in there somewhere. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Well, and even uh, on the flag, the, the, which is the third of the three uh, cranes that I wrote into adventures. Um, right. The, the, the flag toy has a crane. And so when I noticed that I was like, mm. oh, oh, I know exactly how to do this. And so the mm -hmm. only one of the three cranes that I wrote that got cut was the one that actually was based on a real toy. Sorry, fair enough. <laughs> Unfortunate. All right, Jason, uh, I think that maybe went a little long. Are you okay to keep going for Cobra Confusion? Yeah, we'll just do it. Do it. That's a shorter one, so we can yeah. kind of... It is shorter, and it actually has a lot in common. Like the preparing the adventure yeah. thing, uh, it's the same thing, but reduced. I guess uh, before I get into that, I should just say the origin of Cobra Confusion. Um, I said I'm, I'm up for work, and I was told we want a free RPG day adventure that's a crossover of G.I. Joe and Transformers. I don't know why Power Rangers didn't make the cut. I assume it's because three factions in one free RPG product would be a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. It's only these things are only like 16 pages long. So Yeah, exactly. And so Transformers and G.I. Joe has more of a history, so it's more of a natural fit together. Um that and there have been actual Transformers and G.I. Joe crossovers, so the art opportunities are also increased with this particular crossover. Right. And you yeah. know, a free RPG day product is is purely marketing it's promotional so the cheaper you yeah. can get it the better and saving on yep. art is uh, definitely one of the ways to lower the cost yeah definitely definitely um and getting someone who knows the <laughs> knows the at least uh, the the their stuff uh makes it easier to uh, develop it quickly uh yeah i i'm gonna say i was the <laughs> best person to write this adventure i sure i think so <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I was given no other instructions other than, like, page count. Like, I was given logistical instructions and told to make a G.I. Joe and Cobra crossover. And this was shortly after Hasbro had announced that they were making that Megatron Hiss uh, toy, mm. which came with Baroness, and the Bumblebee Awestriker that came with a uh, Stalker. And so I was like, if we can tie those toys into this adventure, then one, we're dealing with the new hotness. 
And two, mm-hmm. if people are playing this game because they're nostalgic for how things used to be, but aren't keeping up with the new things, they'll think we're super clever and came up with the idea <laughs> of a Megatron hiss. Sure, yeah. Uh, and then three is that the when they were announced, they did show uh, Hasbro showed off the art for these. So I already knew that we had art that was worthy of the cover with that Megatron his tank, and that we can right, use yeah. the Bumblebee All Striker for his character art. And then the question just became how to incorporate these elements. Uh, the big challenge being that Megatron is the highest threat level threat in all of Essence Twenty right now. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I don't know Power Rangers. There might be something there, but. Um, yeah. This is at least in these two brands, Megatron's the highest threat level. And you would assume that if he's got this his tank thing, he is upgraded. Like he should at least be the same threat level. This shouldn't be a downgrade. And right. uh, Baroness is uh, threat level 19. She's the second highest threat level in G.I. Joe Core Rulebook. So we really wanted to incorporate that toy, but how do we do it? Well, um, I knew that Baroness. Uh, actually, I'll give a little history lesson on uh, Chameleon. So at one point, there was a Baroness toy that came out. <laughs> called Chameleon. And this was because after uh, the the line was cancelled in 1994 and then uh, Sergeant Savage became the new G.I. Joe that lasted a year. Then G.I. Joe came out I'm sorry, G.I. Joe Extreme came out. That lasted a year. And then Hasbro decided to do like these commemorative editions of the real American hero, even though technically it had only been a couple of years since they'd done these characters. But that was a pretty important couple of years because they lost a lot of trademarks. Or oh. copyrights? I, I always mix them up. Hmm. So... yeah. The, some of the characters they renamed, like General Hawk became General Tomahawk. And some of the characters, uh, they just changed their identity. So Roadblock became Double Blast. And it wasn't the same guy, but Tomahawk was the same guy. Okay. And then Baroness is the only one they really did something clever with, where they said, this is her her double. It's her decoy. And right. uh, it's actually written more like she's a G.I. Joe operative that is pretending to be Baroness, but that's not how I use her in the adventure. But in any case, that gave me a lower level version of Baroness that we can use and we can still use right. Baroness art. So that worked out. So I knew that I can make <laughs> Baroness much lower threat level. And then for Megatron, um, I, I I don't know if I toyed with any other options. I just came with the uh, up with the idea that the deal was that Cobra was making a Hiss tank that could transform. And secretly Megatron liked this because he could use it as a body. But otherwise, this was a Cobra drone that just happened to look like Megatron. Uh, and I was super right. happy with the name Fusion because Megatron is known for having yes. a fusion cannon and it's a fusion of oh, Megatron right. and a Hiss tank and it's a fusion of G.I. Joe and Cobra. Uh, sorry, G.I. Joe and Transformers as brands. And it also allowed me to do this Cobra Con fusion title that I am amazed made it through development. <laughs> like, it's got... It's got a slash in there. Like, this is... It's got a slash in there. It's... It takes punctuation to make the joke, but, oh, I'm yeah. so happy with it. It's the it's the punctuation and spaces where you don't expect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's not confusion. It's confusion. Confusion. Decept- Decepticon. It should technically have an um. An, oh yeah, uh, Cobra slash apostrophe slash apostrophe con. Just got I just got a little sick in my stomach. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I knew how I was going to incorporate the Decepticon elements. Um. And then for Bumblebee, the only way I really saw working him in was if we had the pre-generated characters. And because even like even though I was I was not using a twenty level uh, threat level villain, I figured we still needed a fairly high threat level for something like a his tank Megatron. And so that's where the idea of making this a tenth level adventure came from. 
and in not expecting people to have pre-generated to show up to free RPG day right, with a 10th, 10th level, level RP um, yeah. essence 20 character. So yeah. from there, it was like, well, if I'm going to include pre-gens, I might as well incorporate them into the adventure. And that's where part one of putting Bumblebee together came from because I wanted to use Striker Bumblebee specifically. And I needed mm-hmm. to justify why Bumblebee was suddenly an Striker. Not just that Bumblebee yeah. wasn't his usual form, but that he was specifically a G.I. Joe vehicle. It makes sense. I mean, you do it, you know, r- related to why what's happening, you, you make a part of the plot, he gets basically injured, and then you have to put him back together. Um, I thought it was neat. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so choosing the other uh, five pre-gens kind of felt very natural. So on the Transformer side, you've got Bumblebee, you've got Bulkhead, who in uh, Transformers Animated was kind of buddied up with Bumblebee. So... Mm-hmm. Not every continuity has the two of them um, as buddies, but there is some established canon that these two like each other. And there was just a new bulkhead toy that was... Um, the theme of the toy was imaginative bulkhead, this animated character, had come out in the 80s. This is what he oh. would look like. And so that meant he also fit into our assumed continuity. Uh, so, so yeah, so we had the bulkhead and, you know, a military vehicle. So we also fit the 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 look of what the uh, the adventure was going to be. And then I tried to get Hound in, Hound being the military jeep from the original line. And uh, Kevin pointed out, it's like, that's that's a lot of dudes. And so I said, oh, but on yeah. the G.I. Joe side, I plan on doing Cover Girl, who's a mechanic, Doc, who's a physician, and we can use Carla Doc because we've already got art for her. So, like, overall, it's, you know, it's not an even split, but at least we've got some female representation when you're just looking at the Transformers brand specifically, we were mm-hmm. missing an opportunity. Yeah. So I uh, I was looking over some of the new female characters that were coming out, and that's when I came across Minerva, who um, I, I didn't know as a character at all, and she was fun to look out because she was a headmaster, and from mm-hmm. a continuity where the headmasters were... The headmasters were the head, and then the neck down was, like, just a body that the they operated. It was like, that was a machine, right, a vehicle, yeah. but the headmaster was the the sentient creature. And then Minerva from the neck down gained sentience and then got her own head. Oh. Which is not really touched on in this adventure because it doesn't really fit the themes. But yeah, it seemed really interesting. And her alt mode being a a sports car ambulance, I looked up what that is actually called. And it's a a medical fly car, which I thought was really cool. Okay. Yeah. So so even though Minerva is kind of the, the odd one out in the six characters as far as how they fit the plot... I liked her. I really fell in love with the character. And she had just had a toy come out. Yeah. So again, there was art for her oh, if we needed it. Yeah. And then, yeah, on the Joe side, Cover Girl, who we had art for in the Coral book, Doc, who we had art for. Mainframe was the only character of the trio that we didn't have art for. And I knew that he shows up pretty regularly in the comics and we have access to the G.I. Joe comic oh, art. That, yeah. So I was like, we could probably find something for Mainframe. I just don't have one off the top of my head. So those characters yeah. were approved. Uh, Stalker became the the liaison because Stalker, kind of like Baroness and uh, Megatron, felt too high level for even a tentacle adventure. It would, we, I, I felt like Stalker deserved a higher threat level than uh, a, or a higher level than tenth level pregen. So he became the mm. liaison. Mm. And then yeah, the first scene just became putting Bumblebee back together and both teams forming a unit. By turning Bumblebee right. into the crossover point of G.I. Joe and Transformers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as usual, I like to um, 
when it is assumed that something has to go a certain way in a scene, such as you know they have to make Bumblebee. There is no way they're finishing yeah. the scene without Bumblebee being built. Uh, I added the repair progress rules so that the faster you built Bumblebee, the more advantages you got later on. It's a smart decision. Thank you. And then tell me if you've heard this before. Part two is a chase. It is a chase I did a lot of research <laughs> into to find a real-world location that made a cool uh, chase scene. And yeah. uh, it is everything that we just went over, except now there's only the one chase. Uh, I like this right. chase a lot more. I've had a lot of fun making it because you're not trying to... like. Um, Swindle's not trying to get away. Swindle's trying to get you to crash into everything and just to make everything a problem for you. Yeah. <laughs> Swindle's just causing collateral damage here. Exactly. Uh, actually, I did not mention how Swindle ended up in the adventure. So originally I had proposed a Decepticon called Snowcat, who turned into the G.I. Joe Snowcat. Okay. And uh, I figured, like, that's why... Uh, that's why Baroness was on their radar, because why is she driving around a snowcat? That is a G.I. Joe vehicle. Um, he came out during an era called Energon, and he has never had a modern figure. And so our license is a little iffy about uh, some of those like very specific continuities. Even though we have included some Energon characters in other core rule in other rulebooks for Transformers, um, yeah. I was told, no, this is not a character we can use, and I didn't want to fight it. So I went with Swindle who is one of my favorite Decepticons. Uh, there's an episode, because he's one of the uh, Combaticons, and there's an episode of the cartoon where all the other Combaticons get defeated, and Megatron asks him to like bring them to local engineers and stuff to fix them, and instead he sells them for scrap. <laughs> it, it always uh, wild me how Swindle like fits into things. He's got like, He's not a... What you consider a combatant? Mm. Why is he part of the Combaticons? Man, because he turns into a military type jeep. But like, <laughs> he's not like a military. He's like the Sergeant Bilko of <laughs> of of the Decepticons. And if you don't get that reference, ask your grandparents. <laughs> so yeah, I was happy to use Swindle. Uh, it also meant that I can do another play on words. Uh, street hustle, hustle being like uh, an, a synonym for Swindle. In that, like, yeah. reeling and dealing, but also it's for running around, which is what's going on in this chase. Cool. I like I like that the end, it's at the end of the chase. It's like when you get, aha, we caught you, Baroness. And she's like, I'm not Baroness. Mm -hmm. But I'm totally yeah. willing to give you all the information you want. Yeah, yeah but I'm totally <laughs> willing to flip. No interrogation. Please don't torture me. Yeah, basically. Uh, all right, so then we get to break the joint. Uh, another play on words, but a, a lazier one. I called their their headquarters the joint. The joint, yeah. yeah. It's in the Pyrenees Mountains. I, I don't remember how I first ended up in France for this adventure. Um, I know hmm. at some point I picked France, hmm. and then that's how I ended up with uh, Saint Bernard. Uh, sorry, Saint Bertrand de Comminges. What's that? Nothing. Okay. Yeah, and then we ended up with the Pyrenees. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just at some point, I was doing some research, and I felt like that was a good location for it. Uh, and I got and to the break... Baroness. Oh. The Baroness always feels to me like a European villain. Yes, but she's like a Baroness, and there's not a whole lot of Baronesses in America. But she's like generically European. Exactly. Though, okay. Yeah, exactly. She's she could be anywhere in Europe, and it would make sense. So that's I think that's why France makes sense. Uh, so I got to bring in Dr. Biggles Jones. So she is the character that in the Marvel comics rebuilt Megatron into tank Megatron, 
So she is an established character from the G.I. Joe comics from a G.I. Joe Transformers crossover. So she felt like an important person to include in this adventure because I will never get another chance to use Dr. Riggles Jones. I was surprised when I looked that up that it was a real person, the real guy. Okay. I don't know why. I'm like, what's Ryan doing with this name? I love it, but what's, you know, and oh, no, it's a real, yeah. it's a real character. I wish at some point she had gotten some kind of nickname that we could have used as a code name because it is a very strange name. It's a very strange name. So um, kind of like Chameleon, she's actually been presented more as a double agent who was working with Cobra and mm-hmm. the Decepticons but secretly was working for the government, although it's never explicitly stated. Uh, so mm-hmm. she shows up in the comic. She's working with Cobra. She has like a rivalry with Scarlet, who was also a double agent at the time. And oh I know. <laughs> and then Megatron shows up and then he leaves with her. And we never get the conclusion of that story because the comic uh, can- got canceled within a year after that. And also the way Lara Hama wrote, he didn't plan things far in advance. So sometimes plots would just get dropped. So, Sure, yeah. Technically, she's only ever been a Cobra character, but it's pretty clear that she was supposed to be like a some kind of government double agent. Double agent, yeah. Uh, this scene has an Energon pool because there's rules for uh, regaining Energon if you're near an Energon pool, so I decided to write one into it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we've got... So originally, there was a, a Battle Android trooper in this scene because I thought uh, if we're doing Jejo and Transformers, we should have the Cobra robot. Uh, it was just becoming too much. So instead, yeah. I went with the Insecticons, who also have a lot of rules for what they do when they're around Energon. Uh, it mm-hmm. felt like a better fit. So it gives you a yeah. chance to regain some Energon points, get some you use some rules that don't always get used. Then we go downstairs to the Fusion Factory, where we don't have a crane, but we do have a giant magnet, which has <laughs> crane-like <laughs> qualities. <laughs> very crane-like, very crane-ish. And this originally had, um, this map had two layers to it. There was like a catwalk all on top of it. And the idea was the Joes could actually go up there and mess with computers. And that would be what is controlling the magnets. Uh, but then in reading over the rules for the pregens that I made, I realized that mainframe could operate them from anywhere in the room, uh, just from oh, being a technician. Yeah. And so it made that entire map pointless and that entire <laughs> side quest uh, redundant. So it was removed and it just became a straightforward fight in a big room with a couple of uh, mooks as, uh, you know, distractions. One of those mooks is a Via, a Seeker, that, um, again, I was just looking up stuff to make this generic character a little more fun. And I found out about the French uh, Air Force Aerobatics Unit called the Via. And so that's the basis for her color scheme and a little bit of personality. And even though she's still a generic other than in a character description, I ended up liking her quite a lot. It's fun. And then same thing. We've got a techno viper uh, named Uti, which is the French word for tools, because he's a local techno viper. And he's a tool. (laughs) Sure. And that's it. That's Cobra it's Confusion. A, doing doing uh, Uti is is an interesting. I found an interesting way to show that Cobra pills from the locals, right? Yeah. You get this French guy who's 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 um. Well, show it because you don't have it with Doctor Biggles Jones. She's obviously from I don't know where that name like that is from. But like uh uh you know I assume British, honestly. Um, anytime I see a hyphenated last name, um, and then you know all the other sort of main characters, named characters are. From wherever they're from, but like getting these Avia and Uti is local. It was it was a was was a fun little add on there. Thank you. 
I actually, I forgot what I'd done for Uti's backstory. He's got a complex backstory where he... Yeah, he's a whole yeah, character. As a francophone among largely English-speaking cobras, like he gets ignored most of the time, but he thought this was a great opportunity to uh, advance until he found out he had to rebuild uh, uh, Hank's tank using alien robotic schematics. Yeah, that guy's got, he's got motivation. Yeah. Go, uh, take him up if you want to, you know, get that, get Cobra Codex. Make him, make him a character. No, no. Anytime that Play I him. do a generic as a, a character, they live only in that one adventure. It's just so that uh, instead of just I'm being saying, here's... People at home can do Oh, yes, absolutely. Go pick up Cobra Codex and play UT yourself. Oh, I get it. Yes, I fully support yeah. this. We need to find yeah. out UT's entire character arc. Where does he go from here? Uh, where does he go from here? After the defeat. <laughs> Yeah. And Swindle gets some of the only original art other than maps in this book, and I like it. I like the little yeah, finger he's gun he's doing. He's a finger. What a finger gun guy. <laughs> Alright, so that's Cobra Confusion. This is actually a book I've seen two reviews of, which is more than most SNS20 books, unfortunately. Mm. We uh, <laughs> are not on a lot of reviewers' radars, but uh, Jacob Blackman did a review of this on his blog. Jacob Blackman is someone who's definitely been a supporter of Essence 20. He is a big yeah. fan of these properties from way back, and he's been doing everything he can to promote the books. And then a YouTuber named One Shot Adventures did a, a very enthusiastic review of the book. Oh, and wow. So, yeah, I, he even said that this was his first Essence 20 product, but then he picked up the Transformers oh, wow. role-playing game and um, the adventure. Um, what is the adventure called? Uh, the something of time. The, the book. Nick of time. The time is now. The time, the time is, now. is now. There we go. So yeah, this free RPG product sold at least two books. Well done. All right, we got to wrap things up. So we'll skip over the shoutouts and just go to the call to action, and say thank you for joining us for episode twenty-one of Upshift, the No Direction Network's That's the Twenty podcast. If you want to find more great gaming podcasts, you can go to nodirectionpodcast.com where you can find podcasts, blogs about largely Pathfinder and Starfinder, but we also uh, do a lot of support for Essence 20, including I may finally have an Essence 20 blog up. I've got a half-written one, and mm. uh, so we talked about how originally I was planning on doing just like, here's a, a bunch of members of the G.I. Joe cast as Essence 20 stat blocks, and how you would build them. Right. And then I realized that, no, that's actually stuff that I might need for uh, future products. So instead, I'm going to use <laughs> Essence 20 to make pop culture characters, starting with Batman. Because okay. that's never something I'm going to have to use. But uh, it will be good for familiarizing myself with all of the all of the things Essence 20 can do. So I'm going to be choosing okay. pop culture characters that can really challenge my, uh, my like, player side of my knowledge of Essence mm -hmm. 20. Uh, thank, fun. thank you to our patrons. You can find out more at patreon.com slash no direction. I might even put up a poll saying what characters would you like me to adapt for this new blog that does go. not have a release date, but I am confident enough in it that it will be released. So I'm confident enough to announce it. Uh, and thank you to Word Burglar for the use of Letters from Snake Eyes Part 4. Find out more at wordburglar.com. Until next time, I'm Ryan Costello. And I'm Jason Keel. This has been Upshift. You'll be brain carbon copies of identical dumbbells? Skeletor? I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do it. That was Cobra Commander, but I don't like to do with Cobra Commander. Oh, okay. all, my, all, my villains, all my villains sound like skeletons. <laughs>
Cartoon, obviously. It's from the cartoon. I, I, I actually, I just had, I just closed the record.